dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. In this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the December 7th print edition. We'll have an interview with Chisholm Grund and Trace Mulligan about their involvement in 4-H and livestock judging, and I'll bring the latest on the grain markets. Hey, that's right, Kayleen. By the way, folks, if you haven't heard, to show our support for 4-H, High Plains Journal is donating 25% of all subscription revenue to 4-H now through December 31st. So there is no better time to start, renew, or even give an HPJ subscription. Visit hpjsubscribe.com to get started. Again, that's hpjsubscribe.com. Sign up online and 25% of your subscription rate will benefit 4-H. And you can always look for more interviews with our 4-H families and volunteers about how the program has provided opportunity for all in the pages of High Plains Journal. So Kayleen, what's new out there? I don't know. I've just been watching the National Finals Rodeo every night. I'm shocked (laughs) that you would be paying attention to the NFR. And, And it's kind of weird because the NFR is not in Vegas. No, it's in Arlington, Texas this year. They moved it because of the COVID requirements in Las Vegas. And I keep hearing the comparisons between the two, and it's hard not to compare the rodeos that way. But they're just lucky to be able to have the rodeo and have a national finals this year. And they should just, everybody should be grateful that there's that distraction. You know, I got to say, um, when, when we first heard that they were going to move the NFR for this one year to, Globe Life Field in Arlington, which is, it's the baseball field for which the Texas Rangers baseball stadium. Ah, it's the Texas it's, Rangers. Yeah, no. it's next to the Cowboys stadium. I so mean, you could probably throw a rock between them. They're about that far from each other. <laughs> so that's got to be kind of cool to be in a baseball stadium first off, you know, <laughs> running, you know, running barrels and turning a baseball field into a rodeo arena Aval, I don't even want to know how they had to do all that because there's that, a time lapse video showing how they hauled all the dirt in and got it the way they wanted it and got all the pins set up. It's pretty cool. Wow! But they do the same thing in Vegas every year anyway. They haul all the dirt in, they haul the equipment, the panels, and everything in. So I mean, it's a basketball court that they or a hockey arena or something that they play in. I can't think of what. I think it's basketball. The Thomas think- and Mac. Yeah, I think the Thomas and Mac is a back. You know, we could ha- we could say that, and we could very well be wrong, guys. We're, you know, if you're listening, we're we're just two chicks in Kansas, okay? <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta say, I've been watching um, friends of ours that have obviously, you know, they they're historically they go to NFR every year, and um, you know they're going to Arlington, and and there's just not quite the same atmosphere in Texas 
as there is in Vegas, I guess. I've heard it's more, more family oriented. It seems like all the pictures I see, there's a lots of kids, you know, watching it. And, you know, rodeo is, is sport for all ages. You know, kids can compete when they're three years old and you can compete until you're able. <laughs> I mean, you can be a hundred years old and compete if you're still able to get on a horse. You know, I, I gotta say, it's gotta be a little weird not to have the flashy of Vegas and, and all, I mean, I assume there's more clothing involved in Arlington. <laughs> it's probably a little cooler in Arlington than it would be in the desert, but I don't know. I've never been to Vegas. <laughs> oh, one of these days, Kayleen, I'm going to take you there because that's a fun town. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, now uh, I had heard that there, you know, COVID actually did come to the NFR though, right? We had uh, one barrel racer that that wasn't yeah. able to go. What happened there? They evidently test all the contestants. They told them quarantine two weeks before the event, and all their helpers and everybody had to quarantine. So they didn't bring anything to the NFR, and they tested everybody. And there was the number three barrel racer, uh, Donna K. Rule. She tested positive along with her helper, and they told them, you know you can't go, you have to stay at home because you're positive and she has no symptoms and still doesn't have any symptoms. And they moved up the number 16 barrel racer and let her compete. There was a calf roper. I'm not sure what rank he was, but they moved in the number 16 spot too. And there was a guy that was hurt and they moved in the bareback riding, I think. And he got replaced by somebody else. So, I mean... That's really tough. You know, they've, yes. they've competed all year and let's just say competing all year, quote unquote, in 2020 was incredibly hard anyway, because you didn't know in at the start of this year and in, in March and April, you know, the spring, if we were going to even have rodeos for them to compete in over the summer, yeah. right? Like I interviewed Emily Miller Bicell, uh earlier in November and she I think she went to a hundred rodeos last year and she probably only went to 25 or 30 this year. And her plan wasn't to go to all the winter rodeos and all the stock shows and stuff that have the rodeos. And so her plan just kind of got thrown out right off the bat and she had to just go to the rodeos that she could go to. And she ended up, I think seventh for the year or going into going into the final, she ended up, you know, in the top 15, and had some some good runs so well so now to explain it to folks that don't really quite understand what we're talking about here in order to qualify for the nfr um they have to be in the top 15 and it's according to the money they won throughout the year right right there the rodeo year runs from october 1st until september 30th of the following year so like this rodeo season started October 1st in 2019 and ended September 30th in 2020. Gotcha. So you had to count all that money from those rodeos that sell so, during those dates. So did we see, you know, the, the amount of money that qualified, was that reduced from 2019? Oh yeah. It's, it's just looking at it in the barrels, I, I'm not quite sure in the other events, but they also counted money from the American, which pays gobs of money in March. And 
you know, there was several of them that had won hundred thousand dollars at, at the American. So they kind of coasted in, but you know, like in years past, it took probably close to a hundred thousand dollars to get into the top 15 of the barrel race. And I think maybe the 15th had won, I don't know, 30 or $40,000. So it was, it was quite a, quite a bit difference. And a lot of these people, that's, that's their job. They, that's their, their work. I mean, they go up and down the road, they have sponsors, they have obligations to those sponsors. They have meet and greets and all these other things that they have to do. And so a lot of them, I have heard have just went and got a job and that's hard to do when you have horses and when you want to compete is to have a job. So it was definitely a different year. That's like asking, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Hey, by the way, you're going to need to make up, you know, some, some money in your career and uh, you're going to need to start, you know, stocking shelves between games for the Kansas city chiefs. Cause these are professional athletes. These yes. and, the, and the livestock are professional athletes and they're competing at a, at a higher level. You know, this isn't just, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go rope. It's I am at an elite level and I still have bills to pay. And, and so I'm going to have to go and get a job. And they don't get paid unless they, they win or they have a sponsor. Wow. You so know, the, um, well, and, and you said Emily Miller Beisel, she, uh, she had a little bit of trouble in the first couple of rounds. Um, where are we at yeah. now? She was she was the talk of the internet a couple of days ago because she, which I've seen her do it before, she took rubber bands and put them around her wrists and had string from her wrists to her saddle, the front of her saddle to hold her hands down because her hands were getting up in the air and her horse wasn't one to turn the first barrel. So she went back and figured this out that she needed to keep her hands down low and She's won the last two rounds, this round six and round seven. And last night she smoked them. She had a 1685 and it was awesome. <laughs> and my family was like, why are you hollering? <laughs> well, now I saw that there was a, um, a breakaway roper, which breakaway roping is the, is finally for the first time at the NFR, right? Kayleen? Yeah. They have a separate competition. They don't compete during the actual Uh, performances every night they competed the last three days they ran four calves the first day four calves the next day and ran two this this morning actually and then they took back the top eight and took the fastest ones out of that and um jackie crawford won she's six and a half months pregnant she cut her saddle horn off to protect her her belly so let me get this straight how do you how do you rope without a saddle horn well, the in breakaway, you are your rope is tied to your saddle horn with just a piece of string. So she just ties the string to the swells of the saddle and it just breaks away from there. Okay. But she's won lots and lots in the Women's Professional Rodeo Association. I think they said this was her 20th world championship. She team ropes and she breakaways. And I think at one point she probably tied down calves. So she is the best <laughs> in the breakaway. And her husband, he's actually in the team roping. And at the national finals, so he was there with her. And I, I watched watched it online this morning. It was pretty cool to watch her win that. And she had won the first round with a 1.8 second run. What 1. can you do in 1.8 seconds? <laughs> 1.8 seconds. 
Yes, she roped a calf in 1.8 seconds. <laughs> Holy bejeebers. Yeah, oh, she's pretty cool. You know what? She is, you know what? I'd cut off the saddle horn too. If I yeah. have that kind of skills, you know what? We can buy new saddles. <laughs> yeah, and this she was talking about, in the interview, she said that this was quite the journey and apparently the baby's name is Journey. So it was pretty cool to to see the interview after her winning this this morning. Well, now that kid has already competed and won at the national finals. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Let's and the see. other the other night there was uh, Ashland, Kansas uh, resident Jewel Hazen. He's in the stir wrestling. Did you see that? What he what he? Well, he did? explain it to me again because I I was watching it and I didn't quite understand what happened. Well, he came out of there and something happened and the steer almost got away from him and he grabbed a front leg and held onto it and got his, got the horns back and the steer was not having it. And it was, it was definitely a wrestling match and he got flipped over and they gave him a time after he got it flipped over. And then he didn't hear the judge. He didn't hear anything. And so he went to go try to throw it again. And the judge hollered at him and said, you got it, you got it. And he looks up at the judge and passed the steer on the shoulder. It was the most hilarious thing I had, I've ever seen. <laughs> I tell you what, you know, that's the beauty part. That's the beautiful thing about rodeo. And, and I, I used to be a really big rodeo fan and I just kind of, kind of went by the wayside, you know, but and it's obviously something that you and your family absolutely adore because your husband competes, you compete. Um, or have competed in the past. And I think you're going to do it in the future too. Um, but that's the thing about rodeo that I, I do enjoy is it's always, it's, it's chance. It is, it's chance and luck, but Holy crap, you got to draw the right animal and you got to have the luck and you have to have the skills to back up that luck. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. And when stuff's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong big. And that's just the way it happens sometimes. And I, we've always said there's there's more rodeos to go to and this year's like uh i hope so <laughs> <laughs> well now i also heard that kansas cowboy tanner bruner did pretty good um got third in in last night's round right yeah i saw that he had his purple on last night <laughs> you know what you can't go wrong with purple kayleen <laughs> guess not must have helped him <laughs> Well, folks, um, we hope you've got uh, some of the national finals and everything. Let's see what else is on the calendar. Um, I saw that 1218 is ugly Christmas sweater day, Kayleen. Oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, yeah. And, Sean tried uh, to get me to buy him one an ugly sweater at Walmart the last time we were in there. I was like, nope, I'm not spending $20 on a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, I've started seeing people create ugly sweater masks mm. um and and let me tell you some of the ones that i'm seeing are pure genius absolute genius but uh i don't know i'm not really much for the sweaters i like the long sleeve t-shirts you know with fun phrases and my favorite yeah. right now kayleen are the matching sweaters or matching shirts and i think i think you and i are gonna have to invest in these one says why is the carpet all wet todd <laughs> I don't know, Margo. <laughs> that is the greatest thing ever. There was a video I caught the other day of this lady had made Christmas ornaments that have 
uh, Chevy Chase's rant at the end of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? <laughs> They're the best. <laughs> you know, there are two kinds of people in this world. People that, <laughs> that appreciate the fine humor that is, and the highbrow humor that is uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and everybody else who's wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope you've gotten your shopping done, Kayleen, because right now um, there are big delays out there in, in getting stuff purchased and, and shipped. Holy cow, the shipping stuff. Um, the I UPS van showed up at my house the other night at 6.30 in a U-Haul truck. Oh. And I was like, oh, did we run out of trucks? <laughs> well, I saw in the news that there was a FedEx truck that fell, uh, that somehow caught fire and... Uh, I just kept hoping I, first off, I hope the driver's okay. And secondly, really hope my presents weren't on that thing. Because <laughs> um, I've got some littles that are very excited over Aunt Jenny shipping them stuff from Amazon. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, um, I have been, I, I've been working on shopping more with local stuff, however. And uh, some of the local places that I, I go to, um, they're starting to offer shipping. You know, I can order online and and click and get it done and, and easy peasy it's sent off. And, um, you know, I don't have to worry about postal delays and on my end. So it's kind of good. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else, Kayleen, anything new around the Casa? No, same old, same old. <laughs> Besides the boys are getting tired of watching the NFR every night. Chance is like, why do we have to watch this again, mom? Like it's only on once a year for 10 days. Just get over it. <laughs> it's your indoctrination child. Pick, uh, pick a category. You will be expected to participate. He's only got three more nights. So I think he'll get over it. <laughs> well, Hey folks. Um, we, we sure hope you guys are doing good out there. Drop us a line at HPJ talk at HPJ.com. Let us know if you've been watching the finals. And um, call us at 800-452-7171. And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Tis the season, Kayleen, to hop in the old one-horse family truckster and go shopping for the family tree and a, and a few presents. So, folks, thanks for riding with us here on HPJ Talk. This week's cover story is by Kayleen. Rethinking banking decisions can help farmers and ranchers. She also has the inside feature, Zimmerman gives tips on economic viability going into the next cattle cycle. Our editor, Dave Bergmeier, wrote about Giving Tuesday in his piece on the Opinions and Editorials page. Giving Day spurs us to think of others. And we also had a letter to the editor from Senate Ag Committee member from Arkansas, John Boozman. Vaccine advancements offer hope. Dave also had a book review this week, Water Challenges Found Throughout the West. And Jenny, you had your Common Ground column this week, There's Room in My Nativity. Yes, Kayleen, as um, I've shared in the past, my nativity scene is decidedly unique because every <laughs> time I go someplace, I pick up a new animal or 
person figurine for my nativity from that place. So uh, my nativity includes a toucan from uh, Costa Rica, a dragon from Vietnam, and even a dinosaur from the uh, petrified forest of Arizona. <laughs> yeah, I was with her when she bought a few of those. So if you want to see those stories and more, visit www.hpj.com. You can always read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the Print High Plains Journal, or always look for it online anytime at hpj.com. And remember, if you're looking for a way to give this holiday season and get something in return, High Plains Journal will be donating 25% of all subscription revenue to 4-H now through December 31st. So there's no better time to start, renew, or even give an HPJ subscription. Visit hpjsubscribe.com to get started. That's hpjsubscribe.com. Sign up online and 25% of your subscription will benefit 4-H. If you have a response to something you've heard or read, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. This week, we have Chisholm Grund and Trace Mulligan, members of the National Champion Livestock Judging Team from Kansas State University. Uh, Chisholm is from Sharon Springs originally, and Trace is from Scott City. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having us on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Okay, um, fellas, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, big, the big win this year, uh, National Livestock Judging Champions, um, Chisholm. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience and what it meant to you. Yeah, well, it was just an awesome experience to start off uh, our conversation. It was something that uh, our whole team had a goal in mind once we started. Uh, actually, as we joined together, a lot of us uh, teammates were uh, JUCO transfer transfers and uh, competed against each other and junior college ranks of livestock judging. And then it was pretty special to join up with some of our uh, most renowned competition in junior college and all become one, one force there and uh, senior college. So it was a pretty special experience. Uh, we all uh, set forth the goal of trying to end our judging career as national champions. And it was just a pretty special moment to uh, be able to accomplish that as a team. Very good. So Trace Chisholm, um, what are your specialties? Everybody has a specialty when they're judging livestock. Uh, what's yours? What's your favorite um, to judge? And Trace, we'll let, we'll start with you. Uh, so I would say my specialty is uh, pretty easily hogs. Um, I grew up showing pigs my whole life and uh, my family and I, we run a, a small little show pig operation. I think we have about 10 sows right now. And so growing up, that's primarily what I was involved with is showing hogs. And then um, as we got to K-State, uh, I'm pretty sure I was maybe the only kid on the team that didn't have a, a really strong um, cattle background. And so I know during practices, our coach, Chris, he would, he would definitely kind of hound, uh, 
pounded into me that I need to get better at judging cattle. And I feel like towards the end of everything, I was almost as good at judging cattle as I was any other species, but I still definitely think my specialty is uh, for sure hogs. And Chisholm? Oh, I, I don't know. It'd be a toss up for me. It's definitely between cattle and hogs as well. Uh, I grew up on uh cow-calf operation here in Sharon Springs, Kansas, where we run about 500 head of registered Gelby Bouncer, Angus and Red Angus cattle, and have an annual production sale every year. So I've been around that my whole life. But once we started into 4-H and showing livestock, uh, we got pretty heavily involved in the hog showing, uh, showing pigs and hogs. And uh, I grew a pretty large passion for that. And I've raised a few throughout my career so uh i don't know it's pretty close toss-up for me both of them uh, i think are pretty uh well known as my specialty it's definitely not sheep and goats for me <laughs> kayleen you were a livestock judger how about the sheep and goats for you yeah they i was weak in that those two we didn't judge goats it was a hundred years ago so we didn't have many goats in the contest <laughs> You can ask Chisholm how much he likes uh, judging sheep and goats, especially at the national contest. I think he he dropped one point between cattle and hogs, and then all the rest of his points came from sheep and goats. So he wasn't too happy about that. I would imagine. <laughs> you know, with 4-H, it for me, it provided a good foundation and a background as far as getting into livestock judging. Um, I know you guys did you guys get started in 4-H with judging or how, how did that go for both of you? Trace, you want to start? Yeah. So, um, growing up, uh, whenever I was really young, my family, we actually lived in town. Um, my dad is a journeyman lineman for Wheatland Electric in Scott city. And my mom, uh, she used to be a para for our, um, local elementary school. And so I really growing up didn't have a huge background as a very young kid in livestock. And then we had some local, uh, some local um, family friends that were really involved with showing pigs and cattle. And so my brother and I, whenever uh, I think Clay probably would have been ten, and I would have been just getting into 4-H um, age, we uh, got involved with showing pigs. And so that was something that you know, looking back on it, I think is probably one of the most influential points of my life is getting involved in 4-H. Um, all of the, you know, character building aspect of it and leadership that I've learned from being 4-H is something that I'll be able to take on for the rest of my life. And so as I got older, um, through showing livestock kind of brought me into livestock judging. And so in high school, um, started competing at the uh, sweepstakes that is put on by Kansas State University here in Manhattan. And it was a uh, pretty much our state judging contest. And so at that, they have like a skill-a-thon, a quiz bowl, a meats judging contest, and a livestock judging contest. And I never really did any of the other uh, sweepstake events, but I was always one that was going to do the livestock judging contest. Um, initially, I really, uh, I never really had a whole lot of teammates or a lot of other kids in my county that really wanted to be as competitive as I was in the livestock judging uh you know, events, um, especially through high school. And so 
it was uh, definitely a pretty cool feeling whenever I got to junior college at Hutchinson Community College and then on to K-State where I was able to surround myself with other people that are just as passionate as I was about livestock and livestock judging. And so it was really cool that everything that I've learned throughout 4-H, um, I could take it on and implement that as I was judging in my college career. So Chisholm, how about you? Yeah, I'd have to echo a little bit of what Trace uh, just uh, talked about a little bit. I mean, we all, uh, both of us kind of got our start young into 4-H, and I had, uh, I was a little bit different than Trace. I had an older brother that preceded me and was uh, very intrigued with livestock judging and went on to be on one of the most competitive junior college teams to ever compete, and then uh, my dad and the rest of my family and cousins, uh, we've all been pretty heavily involved in livestock judging. So you could say it's a little more in my blood instead of uh, Trace as he had to go out there and kind of pave the path for himself. And uh, it was, it's just, it's a family tradition, I guess you could say. There's only a few, uh, it's actually only my dad and my older brother and I were the only ones to continue our judging career on to the senior college aspect side of it. But uh, we all attended Kansas State University after transferring from the JUCO. So H helped kind of kickstart that uh, livestock judging experience from an early age. I mean, just from competing at the little county livestock judging contest to then uh, attending the state 4-H contest there in Manhattan, uh, I would say that was definitely played a large role in getting both of us started in the livestock judging aspect of things. Okay. Well, now we've got a few listeners that are not familiar with agriculture and, and that's kind of the appeal for, for some of them for the podcast. So, all right, fellows, if you had somebody that had no idea what was going on, how do you describe livestock judging? I mean, it sounds like it should be pretty self-explanatory, but you know, when people don't really realize that there's a difference between cows, there's a difference between, you know, one sheep and another sheep. Um, so how do you describe that to him, Chisholm? Oh, yeah, that's something uh, It's actually funny that you asked that because uh, when we stay at hotels, uh, our coach, Chris, he liked to make sure that he only got a hotel where we were the only team there. So to kind of kickstart this conversation, we were, we'd always be walking around, roaming the halls and outside in the parking lot, talking to ourselves and talking practicing our old reasons what we practice so in preparation for after you align the animals in a ranking order of one two three four uh after you place the class you then have to go talk to an official about the reasoning why you place them in that certain order and why the second place animal might be better than the first place animal in another area that the first place animal kind of lacks but what you try to do is when you're placing the class is just rank them in order from who puts the most good together whether it be a marking market class or a breeding class and market animals you select for a little more muscularity and certain things like that and composition from then breeding animals you want to select for structure and some female quality there for longevity and stuff like that but it's just funny you brought that up and then when you go in and talk to the official about the reasons it's a very uh it's a lot like giving a speech at a uh 
a forensics meet or whatever you want to call it uh, for it's a lot like a job interview honestly you have to be very professional and uh, we all wear a jacket or suit and tie and uh, slacks and cowboy boots uh, for the contest so it's very professional and you have to be on your uh, a game when you go in to give those oral reasons sounds to me chism and trace that this um this really prepares you to think on your feet and to back up what you say and and to you know you can ha- you can say that this class places one two three four or three two one four but um you know it's your opinion but you at least you know back up that opinion with with um some facts and things right trace yeah so it, it's pretty cool um Livestock judging is kind of subjective. Um, Not every one person will prioritize the same exact things. Um, With Chisholm growing up, you know, on a really uh, like a seed stock operation, um, typically, you know, like whenever we're judging a a cattle class, he'll like his his cattle to be really sound and really practical um, and, you know, to just cover the basics first. And that's certainly definitely important. And then somebody from like my background, which is mainly just showing livestock, you know, I might've liked, uh, some of the animals to have a little more show ring presence and, and, uh, style and pizzazz, if you want to call it that. But, you know, it's very important first in all of the classes is to stick to the basics and try to make every animal as functionally sound as possible and then make sure that they have as much rib and volume and dimension as possible. And then you can start going on and packing all of those extras. And in oral reasons, going in there, you don't know if you have the class placed correctly or not. Um, So say... Uh, all the animals are marked one, two, three, and four, and say I marked them two, three, one, four, and the official is three, two, one, four, which the official is um, a committee of other judges that are typically uh, industry-related people who um, have a lot of familiar familiar uh, familiarities with the species that they're uh, being officials on. Um, they will come together and make an official placing. And the class is scored off of 50 points and say I had a pair switch, say, since I placed it two, three on top and they placed it three, two, I might lose three points um, from placing that top pair different than them. But whenever you go into the oral reasons room, um, a lot of times they really don't care about how you place the class and more that you just described the cattle or the pigs or the sheep or goats accurately for what they are. And you tell them why you place the class the way that you did. You know, Kayleen, um, just knowing you for you know over a decade or so, I can see you using these same skills from your livestock judging career. Whenever we're talking about projects and in, in-house, <laughs> you always um, look at things and, and um, give options of, well, I like this choice better than this choice because A, B, and C. <laughs> yeah, I, there was a point in my life where I could probably give a set of reasons in my sleep if I needed to. And, you know, however many years it's been since I gave a set of reasons, I could probably still stumble through it and make halfway sense. I don't know. <laughs> it may, it may kind of makes you think on your feet. And I know I got that question more than once, you know, what, what is livestock judging? Why, what do you guys, why do you guys do it? And, you know, we always got the strange looks in the hotels, like Chisholm said about walking around, talking to yourself with your notebook in the back of your pants. 
you know, there's a lot of, Chisholm's right, there's a lot of similarities between livestock judging reasons and ex- and preparing for extemporaneous speaking um, contests for, for forensics. You both are talking to walls. Um, it, it, you, you just pick your weird. <laughs> exactly. You know, like you, you had said earlier that you weren't really from an ag background and you lived in town and, you know, there's, I started when I was 13. So I, I mean, I grew up on a farm, but I wasn't in 4-H until I was older. You know, if there's kids out there, do you have any advice for families that are considering, you know, joining 4-H, letting their kids be involved in livestock judging or other projects? You know, what kind of, what kind of things would you tell those parents? Uh, yeah, so I would definitely recommend for anybody, um, especially if you're parents and you're wanting to get your kids involved in something, that 4-H is a great opportunity for anyone. You know, I, I didn't initially live on a farm or anything, um, but through 4-H, my family and I, we decided to move to a farm to where we could have our livestock and to where we could um, be involved in, you know, ag. And so I, I think it's something that's very important, um, especially for being an advocate for the livestock industry, um, that anybody can do it. Uh, you don't have to grow up on a farm to be involved in 4-H. I know that there is tons of different projects that you can get involved with um, and to, uh, to be involved in 4-H. And you never know, that might lead you to something like what I did, where my family and I decided to move to a farm and we decided to become involved in the livestock industry. And it's something that, you know, I'll be able to take on for the rest of my life and um, being involved in 4-H and through the collegiate judging experience, I 100% want to end up, you know, with a job within the livestock industry, whether that's sales or marketing or um, in production. Uh, I definitely want to continue to give back to the industry that's given so much to me. And I think it's really important for everyone out there to know that you don't have to be on a farm to get involved in agriculture or livestock. You can do it in multiple different ways. Yeah, Chisholm, what are you going to take from, um, or what advice do you have for for 4-H families? Well, the advice that I would give if you decide to take the step and get involved in 4-H, I know it might seem like an overload at times, but almost be involved as much as you can because 4-H is so special just because of the different aspects uh, that it uh, brings to the table when it comes to just... uh, things that are real world life experiences, as I should say. I mean, you can participate in as many different things that you want to in the 4-H and your 4-H club at the county fair, whatever it may have. Uh, You can participate in cattle, pigs, sheep, goats, and then that goes all the way to woodworking, to arts and crafts, to... and. all of that just has, uh, it, it really uh, develops young people and uh, uh, individuals that can go be real world leaders for uh, uh, the coming, just in, in, in a business, or whether it be a business or whether it be uh, a future president of a CEO of a company, there's just a lot of aspects that 4-H can bring to the table that I definitely hold a lot, a special place in my heart for uh, the things that I did in 4-H and uh, how it helped develop me into the person I am today. Now, 2020 kind of threw a wrench in things. How was how the, con- the contest different this year? 
they were a lot different. Um, so obviously, uh, they're, I guess we'll kind of take it back to March when COVID kind of first hit. Uh, we were actually on a trip to Houston, Texas to judge at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo down there. There's a really big uh, judging contest. Um, and Houston is probably, it, it's definitely one of the four big contests that we go to um, outside of the national contest. And so we were actually um, working out on some cattle at a place when we got the call that the judging contest was going to be canceled. And so throughout the summer, there was a lot of uncertainty of if we were going to get to go back to school, if we were going to be able to judge um, and what was really going to happen. And so thankfully, whenever we got back to K-State, um, they set up a lot of guidelines for us to where we could still go and practice and to where we could still compete. Um, every time that we stepped into the van to go on a trip somewhere, we would have to have our temperature taken. Um, and we would record that every time we got in or out of a van. And then we also had to wear masks 24 seven when we were on judging trips, besides whenever we were in a hotel room or sleeping or anything like that. But when we were just in the vans, we had to wear, uh, wear masks and social distance. Um, that way, if somebody on the team did come down with the coronavirus, that none of us would be exposed or too close to them. Um, and, and it was something that at first we thought was kind of silly to have to wear a mask in a van, but it all kind of came, came down to how much we truly love the livestock industry and how much we wanted to be involved in the livestock industry and to be able to compete at the national contest in Louisville. So we definitely uh, took everything that they gave us and we ran with it and we wore our masks everywhere we went to. I know that a lot of other schools didn't necessarily have the same guidelines that we had, but we wore our masks to ensure that all of us were safe and to where that we covered all of the guidelines that K-State set out for us. Um, it was kind of a crazy year. And at first, uh, you know, especially whenever we got back, there was some uncertainty of how long we were going to even be back in school or if we were even going to be able to compete at the national contest in November. And so the first couple of weeks of practice were a little, little different and they're, you know, sitting in the back of your mind at first was kind of thinking of, well, we might be doing this for two weeks and then we're going to be done. But eventually that kind of got out of your mind and we all really focused on our goal of being national champions and we all got to it and we worked our tails off and we did everything that we could to put us in the right position to go into Louisville and, and hopefully come out on top. And thankfully uh, everything that the university did for us, everything that our coaches did for us, it all paid off and we ended up being national champions. Well, guys, it's been great hearing from you and learning about what you did to accomplish national championships for livestock judging for K-State this year. We wish you guys the best of luck. And are you guys done for now? Or do you have more, more judging left to go? Nope, that was actually the conclusion of all of our careers. Uh, there's a few of uh, uh, individuals on our team that would like to maybe one day uh, be a livestock judging coach in the junior college ranks or the senior college uh, side of things. But uh, for right now, that is a conclusion of uh, all of our judging careers. And most of us just have a semester left of college and we'll graduate and either attend a master's program or move on with our life. Uh, and whether that be getting a job in the industry or going back to family farm and ranch, uh, that's majority of what our team's doing. So. 
That sounds good. What about you, Trace? What are you going to do now? Uh, well, currently I have a final that I actually have to take at about 4.30. So after that, <laughs> I will be done with the semester, thankfully. And then I have one more semester left. Um, the spring of 2021, I will graduate. And then I haven't fully decided if I want to stick, stick around and get a, a master's degree or not. I've talked to a few professors about uh, you know, swine nutrition or ruminant nutrition. Um, and if I do decide to do that, I definitely want to uh, work in the industry. And I have thought about maybe being a livestock judging coach for a few years, but it's not something that I fully decided on. Um, if I don't get a master's degree, I'm definitely going to try and get a job within the industry and work within the livestock industry. Well, that sounds great. Well, thanks for joining us today. You guys have a good rest of your week and congratulations. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Your grain market prices from Dodge City's Pride Ag Resources on December 1st. Corn was down at $4.44. Wheat was down at $5.09. Milo was down at $5.51. And soybeans were down at $10.82. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our December 14th issue with a story from Shauna Rumbaugh and look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends.